0: Today's guest is John Robb, a regular guest on our show. John's a thinker and writer about global-level systems and conflicts. His main platform is Global Gorillas on Patreon. You can Google it, or you can find the link on uh, this podcast's episode page at jimrutt.com. I've been a longtime contributor to... Uh, john's support on patreon and i'd encourage you to do so too we don't have independent voices like this if we don't reach into our pockets and uh help them make a living so john let's uh jump into a couple of three things that you've talked about over the last uh, few days on your uh very interesting twitter stream uh the first is uh very interesting development uh the website defeatdisinfo.org has sprung up. And frankly, I predicted something like this back in 2012. You know, tell us about what defeatdisinfo.org is and what do you think the uh, implications are? Well, um, it's built on the same kind of
1: software that was developed to uh, run counter-narrative efforts uh, against terrorist groups. Um, There were a lot of efforts, uh, Undertaken over the last uh, decade or so, particularly you know in, in response to ISIS, uh, trying to you know run counter narrative, and you know that there's lots of companies involved in that too. I mean, there's a, a, a Google Wing or sub venture that, that that focuses on that. Um, it's basically a kind of system that uh, when it sees a a narrative develop uh, that could you know promote a terrorist group. Uh, it would then uh, counter that narrative quickly and, you know, spread that in from, you know, the counter narrative out to a, a lot of influencers. And, uh, in this case, uh, Defeat Disinfo is is focused on Republicans and Trump. Um, so, uh, for, for example, if Trump says something like, why don't you take disinfectant internally, they would run a, a counter narrative. Um, and then you know, spread out the, the information, or that the uh, pandemic is similar to the flu. They would run a counter-narrative against that. Yeah, so that's it in a nutshell.
0: Oh, and then the key part, at least as I saw it, is that they're recruiting an army of people to be their spreaders, right? Uh, uh, they don't seem to use bots per se, but rather uh, they are organizing uh, a Decentralized uh, narrative, uh, multi-broadcast point with potentially hundreds of thousands of people who are taking their, uh, you know, counter arguments and uh, posting them in a fairly regimented and highly automated way. By the way, on Twitter and Facebook and various other uh, platforms, emailing them to people, etc. And uh, so th- yeah. this is essentially automating and organizing what's been happening in a unautomated and disorganized way via, you know, propagation of memes and links across uh, social media and email.
1: Well, it's it's, um, focusing on on getting those key influencers, those independent influencers to retweet the counter narrative and or to post about it or write about it. And I mean, recruiting an army uh, of people to make that possible or, you know, to distribute the information and get it into the hands of those uh, key influencers is a, It's just a way of working around the rules that Twitter and other sites have, uh, you know, blocking bots. Um, What they're looking for is what they call an inauthentic uh, communication, inauthentic posts, whatever that means. Um, So this is a way of working around that. If you get a lot of people enlisted uh, to do this, then you you can avoid getting snagged by those rules.
0: At least, probably, maybe they'll say, "Hmm, collusion." We just saw hundred. We just saw seventeen thousand retweets of uh, the same post or the or the same link. Uh, seems improbable. Uh, so we'll see if there if there's a counter arms race against this. Oh yeah, well,
1: most definitely there will be. I mean, it's it's kind of like IEDs and, and counter IEDs. You know, uh, there's an innovation in IED design, and then there's a, a counter that comes out months later 6 months later and then 2 weeks later there's another innovation that neutralizes the uh, the uh, the counter ied work um so you know this is a definitely an arms race it's it's a global information war um it's it's an interesting maybe direction for where parties are going uh you know political parties political networks are you know recruiting you know tens of thousands if not millions of people to to amplify a message yep um to get it out And, and doing it in a formalized way. I mean, you know, that's how parties evolve online is that they, they used to do it through influencing news coverage and now recruiting a million people to amplify a message and doing it in a, in a formal
0: way is probably how they earn their uh, support. Yeah, it seemed like, you know, again, I think I wrote about this in 2012 in a document, uh, not this exact form, but the idea of uh, sort of disciplined, organized, mimetic armies. And we mentioned offense-defense arms race, which will certainly happen, presumably the Twitters and Facebooks will try to downregulate these messages, but uh, obviously uh, platforms like this will try to work around that. But the other, which I think is perhaps more interesting and gets to what you're talking about, about this might be the politics of the future, is the offense-offense arms race, where let's say these anti-Trump folks uh build up their army of 25,000 uh the trumpsters then build up their army of 200,000 right and uh, and so uh, as you as you indicate this could be the future of how the parties actually communicate and as we know online discourse uh is way less disciplined can turn way uglier Uh, than say controlling uh, mainstream media and the thing that came to my mind is let's let's think this uh, arms race uh, going through two or three cycles here and of course in internet time two or three cycles might be between now and September Uh, and you know what it might look like is Germany in 1932 uh, where the various uh, right wing and right populist parties and the Communists and far left parties, which there were several, uh, were actually engaged in murderous street brawls all over Germany. At you know, hundreds of people a month were dying in really ugly fighting in uh, a more or less quasi organized, and in some cases even paid uh, political street fighters. Essentially, uh, this is this could be what we're he- yeah. this could be what we're heading for. Some real ugly, real ugly stuff with sort of quasi organized brown shirts versus red shirts. I have a whole report on that actually, <laughs> but that 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 looked
1: at the anti-five versus the alt-right battles, street battles, and then I wrote a whole report looking at
0: what happened in Germany on the street level all right. in terms of how they We'll put a post up on that, a link on that on our site. I also wrote a short story called Blood in the Streets uh, back in t- ah. 2017, uh, which talks about uh, sort of Antifa versus more or less legitimate uh, Trump rallies uh, spiraling out of control into violence. You know, it hasn't actually turned out that way yet, but it gives, it gives an indication. So I think, you know, we're, we're all thinking about this. And oh,
1: I, I, I have some kind of a subtle critique of the whole approach, though. And it was kind of uh, built on my my thinking about how it was used in the counterterrorism space. Is that um, it, it's it's not as effective as people would think it is uh, because I mean Trump's approach or the the sense approach in general is more maneuver based. It's it's disruption. It it, it disrupts cognitive function, and then uh, countering it quickly um, isn't as effective in. in in, in blunting that, I mean, the damage is already done, and and, and a subset of those people actually see the the counter. Um, it might be good at potentially keeping the, you know, grooming the in group uh, and keeping them um, cognitively whole in th- the face of this disruption, so they don't feel like they're constantly outgunned. Um, but in terms of a, a its general effect, I think it's going to be pretty weak. I think in terms of promoting a consensus, which is the opposite of the of you know the other political party or whoever that political party is, uh, is the best way to promote the consensus is to solve the problem the consensus was formed around. And you know, if you're moving that forward, if you're solving those problems, then you're growing your consensus. And that's the biggest failure that the Democrats have had in this instance, is that they have not jumped in front of solving the pandemic, I mean, completely abdicated it. And they're not moving that consensus forward. Um, or whoever if, whether it 's Democrats or anybody who stood in front of this and actually said okay let 's coordinate the efforts to get this
0: thing solved well, the democratic governors are doing a reasonably good job, certainly better than the republican you know, governors
1: on a state by state basis, but there's a you know there's a natural plot- we talked last time about a kind of a doing that kind of national broadcast taking in all these open source efforts you know there's there's lots of cool stuff that could be done. I mean, you know, we're talking this morning or I was talking to some some people this morning about the National Guard being mobilized and there's more National Guard being already mobilized in the United States than the, the Canadian and UK militaries combined. It's it's been a huge mobilization that's going through the end of June and um there's a kind of a slot i mean these 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 guard soldiers are out there you know at at the meat packing plants and in other places you know critical infrastructure that's been you know taken down because of the pandemic and um they're su- you know supporting the kind of reboot of of this infrastructure and um it occurred to me that you know there's a whole new space that could be developed um, kind of a universal guard a swiss army knife of of a of a of a, of a mobilization that uh, uh where you bring a group of people that are have the capacity and the ability to learn quickly, um, and the willingness to work hard, and those people could be mobilized. And once you've you know kind of vetted the list, and those people could be mobilized to come into a situation and get that infrastructure going again. And this works at the national scale, or maybe even at the community scale, where you have a group of people that have you know, have these kind of you know a, array of of, of subspecialties and or. Uh, just a, an ability to learn quickly. I mean, now that with we have access to all this information, you, if you have the ability to learn quickly, you can boot yourself up really quick, you know, very, very fast, um, and then get them to come in and, and get a factory going again. And getting the PPP on or PPE on, and 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 in doing it in a safe way until the the regular workforce can come back in. And you can see this, you know. It, that could, that could be kind of force that would really be something that could be coordinated at a national level. But, you know, there's just this moving the, the solution set forward is really the way to, to kind of consolidate the consensus and, and make it feel like it's actually moving in a direction that, uh, has some kind of positive conclusion. Um, and that grows it. That grows the, um, the center of gravity, it makes it, you know, increases the attraction of it and, and, and accumulates more people and pulls them out of the descent.
0: You can imagine this little Swiss Army knife militia being unofficial, you know, being, say, an arm of the Democratic Party, for instance. It
1: could be. I mean, it, it, you think of it also at the local level is, is you have lots of critical infrastructure that could be taken down and, and, and knowing or assembling a group of people that can, that can, can do that, that, that have been vetted and vouched for and are willing to you know, pitch in and come in and do the, what's necessary to actually you know, boot that piece of infrastructure back up. After it's been shut down, um, it, it's even even more powerful if the if the you have a local government willing to fund it, so you know, willing to pay the people to come in and do this. So it, it, you can get all these like positive cycles of reinforcement if you can get it get it going.
0: Makes makes a lot of sense. Let's move on to our next topic. Uh, something you've written about recently. Uh, you know the economic shit storm that's uh, about to land or has had has been landing and will become more obvious uh, in about a month is going to prune the economic field. There's going to be winners and there's going to be losers. Uh, any thoughts on how we might think about who are likely to be the winners, who are going to be the losers, who are going to be at least relatively stronger against their competition on the backside of, of this thing? Right. Yeah. Um, well, the, there's the pure play uh, companies that
1: uh, are only, only viable in the pandemic when things are shut down. And then there's the ones that can straddle both sides uh, you know, my son's company code Academy, he's, his company straddles both sides. They make money when they're, uh, they've been making money when there, there isn't a pandemic and they will make money. They're making more money now that there is. Uh, so they, you know, they can handle both conditions. Um, Amazon certainly in that camp, uh, the strongest, the strongest, uh, players will be the ones that can, you know, handle coming out of the pandemic as well as, uh, they're making a lot of money right now during the pandemic. I mean, Amazon added what 175,000 employees in the last couple months, so they're making money hand over fist on this. My bigger worry is more like a uh, is that the you know, U.S. government is at risk here uh, because uh, we're benefiting right now from this flight to safety. Uh, it's keeping our borrowing rates uh, in the cellar. I mean, it's really cheap to borrow right now for the U.S. Um, and if this persists and uh, if this crisis persists, and 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 you know, relative to everywhere else, uh, it may be something that uh, reverses, and that we'll see people f- fleeing the United States, fleeing the dollar, um, and driving up our rates, and th- and that could cause a, a whole cascade of problems for us
0: yeah that's that problem's been sitting out there for a long time this epoch of cheap money for uh federal borrowing is the only thing that keeps our even previous stack of debt at 20 trillion dollars from crushing us if uh, we paid the the historical average federal fr- funds rate which is about 5% across all average across all maturities uh you know we'd be laying out something about 70% of income tax receipts just on interest uh right. and so this you know this uh uh sort of Damocles has been hanging over us for a long while. And it could be, particularly if we misplay both uh, the public health side, which it looks like there's some chance that we're doing, uh, and the fiscal side, uh, we could be in a world of hurt. We may lose our status as the world's reserve currency.
1: Yeah, there's, a, there's benefits to cohesion and, and stability. <laughs> and being the most cohesive and most stable country um, of any size for, for a long time has has yielded us you know incredible benefits as the world became un- more unstable and more chaotic uh, but if that reverses at all uh, boy
0: uh, the decline can be very very quickly yeah it could be a phase change as we'd say in complexity science where we go from uh, the perception of high cohesion and coherence which frankly has probably not really been true for the for the last uh, 10 or 15 years uh, to a state where people recognize the fact that the u.s is uh, in a bad way and more or less dysfunctional even though again i would Point to the fact that it probably has been dysfunctional for fifteen years, but uh, people weren't really aware of it yet.
1: Yeah, that's it's. Um, it goes back to my challenge for the twenty first century, at least for nation states, is to maintain cohesion in the face of a complex world, which yeah, is throwing off you know complex crises you know, again and uh, you know one after another. I mean, first nine eleven, and then the financial crisis, and and now this. I mean, a crisis that has embedded nonlinearities and and uh, has a lots of uncertainties. And even if you dig into it, you'll uncover even more uncertainty. You know, that's the thing that actually turns a crisis that, you know, people talk about predicting the pandemic and, and you can predict the kind of broad outline of a pandemic, but the one that really gets you is the is the complex one and the one that keeps on giving. I mean, even if you're, even if you know it's what it is and, and how it operates, you still can't deal with all the complexity that you're being faced with. Um, it's constantly changing. And, um, the, the challenge is, is is ongoing and it does so much damage over so much time that uh, you end up uh, seeing massive change in the social structures that are, are built to confront it. And we saw that with 9-11 yielded the GWAT, the global war on terror, and yielded all sorts of changes uh, uh, to the US government in terms of militarizing police and et cetera, um, and uh, spending gobs of money, $6 trillion on on foreign wars that we Shouldn't have spent, and then the financial crisis obviously did a lot in terms of delegitimizing the government in terms of you know its inability to actually punish the people who committed the fraud. So uh, these complex situations or these complex threats uh, can 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 keep on giving over decades.
0: Yeah, and then this is a very very important point you're hitting here on John, uh, which is. Frankly, no country on Earth uh, is actually very good at dealing with uh, complex uh, situations, you know, nonlinear, embedded nonlinearities, without the complete set of data. In fact, the usual real world uh, big problem, you only have part of the data, you know, for instance, the pandemic. Well, we knew pandemics happen. Just look at the, uh, the occurrence rate, you know, about one every 10 years. But what are the parameter settings? This one happened to have a set of parameter settings that people hadn't thought of, which is... Sort of just lethal enough, as we talked about last time, to be uh, scary and disturbing, but not murderously lethal like MERS or something, but highly, highly contagious, asymptomatic. So it's essentially a parameter space. In fact, I'm working on an essay right now. I'd love to send you a copy of it for your thoughts before I actually publish it, Uh, asking the U.S. government to establish a Department of Wicked Risks, uh, where we actually build up the capability of complexity science, modelers, network theorists, et cetera, and and think of it almost like a planning staff like the military has, uh, but for the civilian sector, which will enumerate as many known uh, categories of potential wicked risk, like pandemics, like solar flares. Uh, You know, uh, several others, which I enumerate uh, and does some probing with leading edge thinkers for, all right, what about what unknown unknowns uh, could could become known or at least speculated apart and have and then would actually build models uh, that are parameterized for as many of these situations as they could afford. And, you know, so that, again, complex thinking does not come naturally to humans. We weren't laid, raised in a world where high uh, nonlinearities that play out over short periods of time really impacted our lives very often, maybe a forest fire or something like that, uh, but not too often. Uh, and now uh, our, our societies are going to be put at risk of at least extreme damage, if not actual collapse by one wicked risk after another and it seems to me just like we have a department of defense we also have to have a department of wicked risks
1: yeah and, and a lot of this stuff has to do with um changing our perspective on response and and you know we 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 try to solve these problems with with traditional thinking and it just doesn't work i mean for instance the uh, uh, the way w- in which we uh shut down international borders i mean we're Slow and methodical, and we do try to do it selectively. But with this kind of threat, you have to do it quickly and all at once, yep. because they're so easy to route around. But you know, it it's these assumptions that we have about how things operate, and, and that we can optimize the solution, and that uh, you know, there's a way to kind of target the bailout money. Uh, or that we should do it higher in the stack and focusing on on corporations versus individuals. I mean, all of these things are are, are clearly mistakes if you look at it from a holistic perspective and looking at it from a, a perspective of complexity. It's just um, it's a different kind of assumption set. Uh, you know, we don't know the particulars of any given crisis. In, in you know, but we do have the ability to d- develop a kind of a general response. Methodology, uh, a way of kind of responding to these things that uh, that you know that kind of that kind of a crisis group that you were talking about, you know, just knows knows the kind of uh, gut level instinct as to what direction we should be heading
0: into. Yeah. and can simulate it, right? I mean, you know, yeah. gut level is one thing, but having mature you know, various teams, we know it's like. In climate change, different models give different results. But when you have an ensemble of models created independently that give similar results, it gives a lot of confidence in uh, in the situation. So I would imagine this department not only having its own modelers, but also being a fairly significant source of funding to academic researchers to build models using entirely fresh code, code bases, entirely fresh ideas, and have those models up and running and be ready to go at need, rather than, uh, you know, the... Uh, the you know the very halting and whole series of bad decisions that we've seen made, and oh by the way, it did did turn out that uh, there was one simple way to. Uh, partially at least tame uh, the pandemic on the front end, which was social distancing. Yep. Uh, and in those com- those countries that were willing to do it firmly and hard, unlike the United States, have actually really pushed their case count down. But the backside is going to be way more complicated. This is not just one simple rubber mallet, right? Now we're going to have to manage uh, contact tracing Escalated in testing and not only escalating testing, but then optimizing. How do you use the test? Do you use them on people high probability of being sick or do you use part of that as a uh, background instrumentation to see your base case rates? Right. You want to do both. But are, is, are our current people capable of thinking like that? I don't know. You know, and the coupling between the, right. the uh, public health problems and the economic problems are classic nonlinear coupled uh, systems which are, I hate to say it, beyond the cognitive ability, at least the people I see at the highest levels of our government. So these are going to be, uh, you know, challenges uh, that that are, uh, this will not be the last time we face this. So this may be one of the great exemplars, which allows us to think about how we should build some institutional response for the future.
1: Yeah, I, I think the uh, the modeling aspect of this is great at the, at the very, very early warning period. And then um, once you have identified that this is a complex threat, then you go okay, what quick frames can we put on this to make some immediate decisions? And then you do the more complex or more detailed modeling to to, to, to refine that. those early decisions. But um, you can't wait until everything is like all, all the analysis is done, like on masks or universal masking, right? I mean, do you have to run all the tests and do all the science necessary to prove that it that it works i mean probably not
0: yeah I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a funny thing about masking i was saying it from the day one when they were talking about masking idiots uh the the thing about playing on the model and you could actually find this in a very simple model is the mask is not to protect the inbound it's to, to reduce the outbound you know just put that in your model right, right? it's just so fucking obvious right but it took you know what a month for the u.s to come to a consensus And even that now reluctantly and politically charged uh, that masks are a good idea. All you had to do was think the one frame change that this is uh, reduces outbound, not inbound. And yes, masks are cheap. You, of course, should do them. Why should there have been any discussion about it? But.
1: It was a lesson learned from a hundred years of affection control in hospitals. Exactly. <laughs> you
0: know,
1: why that's just common wisdom in hospitals and, and you know common practice, and you just go with that.
0: Well, yeah, why did it take a month to reach a consensus? And that, by the way, that consensus is not even firm in the United States. It's now apparently become politically charged in certain uh, jurisdictions uh, to be to be wearing a mask in public. You know, you will be uh, you know made fun of by the uh, by the scoffers. I go, what the fuck is wrong with people? Anyway, let's move on to our 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 third and final topic, which you posted on very recently, uh, which is, you know, we have these regional blocks of states, which are working in a coordinated and seemingly reasonably intelligent fashion to reduce caseloads towards zero, maybe to zero, and then we have other states which aren't parts of these uh regional blocks and maybe some maybe there's some new regional blocks of uh of scoffers who are opening up very early and you know we're already seeing some reports in the media that even the administration's own models are showing holy shit this could uh produce a whole bunch of uh, of cases and you know real resurgence in those areas and you and you suggest hmm could it be that we might have to have hard border controls between U.S. regional blocks? What do you think about that? Yeah, a couple of things.
1: Uh, one thing I saw in terms of behavior um, in, in Asia early on is that uh, the border controls were pretty loose in China and other places uh, until they got the caseload down to nearly zero. And um, then they saw a resurgence of cases, and there was, all those cases were coming from the outside. And so they quickly went to hard border controls, you know, uh, quarantine. They were willing to make, you know, take that step. Um, and then the other uh, piece of evidence is that, you know, the, the countries that took early action in terms of border controls, like from uh, Taiwan, uh, Japan, uh, Greece, even saw, you know, where they closed the physical borders very early on in the crisis, have escaped almost all of the, the disaster that we've seen. So you combine those two. You know, uh, after having win a, won a you know a reduction, and you've taken the, all the, the pain associated with achieving that reduction, and then seeing all the new cases coming from the outside, and uh, the fact that it if you can coordinate yourself, uh, you can uh, kind of re- externalize the quarantine um, and and erect borders. You can you can save yourself a lot of hassle in the future. That will probably be driving the decision making of a lot of these big regional blocks. Um, we see big reductions now in, in New York and New Jersey. Uh, and Massachusetts and others are holding the line. Uh, they're not seeing any increase. Uh, if those numbers start to come down by the end of the month and uh, the rest of the country starts to zoom, like New Hampshire is about to open up, uh, you know, Georgia obviously did last Friday, Texas did last Friday. Um, they're all seeing, inc- you know, surges in cases. Illinois seeing a surge in cases, Maryland. Um, if those places start to zoom again, uh, it's just going to be a natural development that, that the states that have won that decline will start to erect borders. And, um, you know, it's going to be a big shock, a big shock to a lot of people. If this, you know, those administration numbers from, from yesterday, uh, were pretty interesting is that, you know, they were projecting a increase to 3,000 cases a day or 3,000 deaths a day by the end of this month, uh, largely due and, and, that model was running at about a 50% rate, so it was like 50% of the actual. So in effect, it was projecting uh, 6,000 dead a day by the end of this month, largely due to reopening, uh, up from about 2,500 where it is now.
0: Yeah, and 6,000 a day for people just to keep in mind, that's uh, close to 200,000 dead people a month, right, uh, which is uh, two months worth our total loss in World War II. Right. Yeah. I mean, three times a Vietnam every month. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just just staggering because because we have been unable and or unwilling to do the obvious thing, which was the shutdown. But even states that are shut down, this is what drives me crazy, Virginia, uh, relatively uh, strong lockdown regulations. The reality is there's huge amounts of leakage. Uh, you know, and again, if we'd had this uh, Department of Wicked Risk, the simulations would have said the right answer is a four week, very stringent shutdown. Nobody comes out of their fucking house for four weeks. National Guard distributes food in bulk, uh, you know, to your doorstop, right, once a week. Uh, and that's it, pe- people. You know, a four-week a four absolutely rigid shutdown would have, you know, killed this thing in its tracks. And, oh, by the way, we could then reopen the economy fairly rapidly thereafter. Uh, and, but, in, and again, uh, the other thing they didn't take into consideration is this slow, drippy, leaky uh, shutdown, starts to deplete people's uh, uh, ability for vigilance. You know, it, right. uh, it turns out most people can maintain vigilance for four weeks. You know, you can stay on a diet for four weeks. We all know that. But once you get past four weeks, it gets really hard. And and I would, I've seen research and I've seen personal experience that says by the time you get to 10 weeks, it's damn near impossible to maintain vigilance, uh, at least for a fair percentage of the population. And the problem with a leaky shutdown is it takes a lot longer. And so we're reaching. Will we soon be reaching that ten-week part, that ten-week mark? You know, around the first of June, most places. And I expect, uh, unfortunately, we will see uh, further unraveling, even in places that are trying to keep social distancing in place. So should have been harder. Should have been faster.
1: Yeah. uh, The longer this goes, the more at risk the U.S. is in terms of uh, staying together. Yeah. Yeah. And that's an outlier. It's always been an outlier, obviously, but you know, it's becoming increasingly possible yeah. to see how this whole country could un- actually unwind it's the and it, 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 you could actually even see it in, in the way people you know who, who have actually been you know locked up for what two months now in, in Massachusetts and, and New York and um, sitting and watching and listening to people saying you know we don't want to do anything I mean people who just spent a week or two like in lockdown and complaining about it in other states and and and, and then becoming the source of the the pandemic. Uh, That enmity, that anger could end up being, you know, the the impetus to a kind of a soft breakup through these border controls and through kind of, you know, prioritization of resources. I mean, the multi-state council has already, you know, set up a buying group for uh, PPE and, uh, you know, they're starting to source manufacturing and uh, you can start to see maybe uh, taking preeminence over resources and, you know, know, control over resources that uh, ahead of other states there's a whole mechanism here now for actually seeing a, a breakup,
0: yep and frankly, I'm not sure that's a bad idea. Uh, I know I think you and I disagree on this one, but maybe not
1: oh no i don't I don't necessarily disagree i mean. I mean, you know, I've actually probably more in the camp of actually seeing a breakup might be a good thing.
0: Good, because, you know, my view, the way way I've I've said this is it's becoming increasingly clear uh, that California and Mississippi are both getting very, very tired of the other having a partial veto uh, on how they run their societies, right? And that's just a, right. about the most extreme version of it. Right. Uh, but, and, but, but there's sort of at least two rough blocks in the country and, you know, four or five is not unreasonable either. And frankly, they'd all be a lot, uh, happier if they got disentangled from each other And California and Mississippi didn't have a mutual partial veto over each other's cultures. Uh, you know, if California wants to legalize marijuana, let them, right. If, uh, Mississippi wants to, uh, outlaw, uh, abortion, let them, right. Right. And, uh, you know, this this might actually be a good thing uh, to to release this decoherence, right? Because uh, clearly we can have more social coherence in smaller units that are more culturally homogeneous than we can in what's becoming a very highly polarized country.
1: Yeah, that's more like 1800s America. I mean, is, can we, is there a way of kind of an organized retreat where you, you weaken the federal system, weaken federal controls and limits on behavior? Uh, you know, we can, you know, through the, you know, that had been instituted through the Supreme Court, through, through the, uh, uh, through Congress, um, bringing it back, bringing back power to the states or do you see a a hard breakup?
0: Yeah, I I don't, I don't see it ever happen. You know, people never give up power, right? When was the last time somebody gave up power other than, other than in a radical phase change, like the breakup of the Soviet Union? Uh, so while, yeah, in theory, we could roll back to 1931, but I would bet long dollars against it. Uh, and I think, uh, to achieve the same result, a much more likely scenario is to, uh, uh, actually, carve ourselves up into independent nations. Now we might still have a free trade yeah. zone like uh, the EU, but uh, in terms of the- yeah, but how did
1: Gorbachev kill the, the Soviet Union? It wasn't really. I mean, I mean, it's it's in some ways kind of similar to what we're seeing now with with Trump and, and the federal government. Um, I mean, Trump may be the Gorbachev of the U.S. Is that Gorbachev? I mean, started those those pilot projects. In, in private ownership, pilot projects in, in certain subsectors. And that spun out of control. When And then he started putting, you know, res- more and more restrictions on the nomenclatura and and, and uh, they started opting out. Yep. You know, they started – Instituting those pilot projects and starting, you know, grab resources and selling them and making a fortune, and the whole thing kind of fell apart really, really quickly.
0: Yeah, it was certainly not Gorbachev's plan, right? I actually had lunch with Gorbachev. Oh, yeah. um, a long, long time ago, and uh, he was absolutely uh, flabbergasted by the whole thing, right? Uh, he thought he was a oh yeah he thought he was a gentle, good reformer, but he was a true to heart communist, right? Uh, that the whole thing blew exactly. up in his face was uh, absolutely unintended. It was not uh, not his intent at all.
1: And, and then the same thing here is uh, letting the states and individuals fend for themselves on this uh, may end up creating the impetus to actually see things break up. I mean, you know, it, we're seeing a, a vast diminishment of, of federal power. I mean, there's so much, we're not doing anything, a confident nation, you know, World War II America or, or Cold War America uh, is, is a completely different place than what we're seeing right now. I mean, total lack of confidence in everything and anything. There's no national will to get anything done. And uh, with forcing people to, you know, uh, to make decisions on their own in the face of a crisis is the surest way to see things break up. Uh, Because they're going, you know, why do I even have you? Why do I even uh, pay any attention to you? And if that's the case, then – Trump may be Gorbachev for these states, unexpectedly.
0: We'll wrap it up on that. Oh, wow. This has been an extraordinarily interesting uh, uh, episode. We've covered some uh, very, uh, very serious ground uh, here, John. Very, very much worth thinking about and seeing what comes next. I hope we'll have you back on the show soon. All right. Cool. Thanks, Jim. Production services and audio editing by Jared Jane's Consulting. Music by Tom Muller at modernspacemusic.com.